in a society of laws. Why do you think I took in all those Police Academy movies? For fun? Well, I didn't hear anybody laughing. Did you? Hello and welcome to Spotlight Academy, class of 2020. I'm Commandant Dempsey and I'm joined by two of our finest cadets, Matt Brothers. Hello. And Paul Wilson-Morris. Hello. <laughs> and we're also joined by a very special guest speaker at today's graduation ceremony, Captain Dan Thomas. Hello. Oh, God. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're so happy you agreed to do this, aren't you, Dan? <laughs> I forgot about this. I didn't forget about this one because I saw it a million times. I I have not seen it as anything resembling an adult, but yeah. I have seen it a lot. And this is, I think maybe as a child, I had something medically wrong with me. <laughs> Did, the, didn't you say, like, I was a moron? Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if that's a technical term. But as a child, I was clinically moronic because I saw this one 30 or 40 times apparently on purpose, and I don't know why. <laughs> so the film, dear listeners, that Dan is referring to is Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach, the fifth <laughs> in the Police Academy franchise. They're back. Come on in, register. Jones. <laughs> Hightower. <laughs> Hooks. Back off, you talking! Callahan. Eyes left. House. Why, this old baby, it doesn't even break, it pulverizes. Tackleberry. Proctor. Harris. And Commandant Lazard. Their assignment? Miami Beach. And they're beside themselves with excitement. Get ready for Eric Lazard. This time, instead of making arrests, they're going to take one. He's thinking. But when ruthless criminals kidnap Lassard, his loyal force put their vacation on hold and become bent on revenge. Once they spring into action, man for man, tan for tan, they're the hottest force on the serpent sand. And they'll do whatever it takes, no matter how much it hurts. Police Academy 5. Leave the swimming area now, mister. It's the best in fun and guns under the sun. We are covering this today as part of Spotlight at the Movies. The reason we're covering it is because it has, as the lead bad guy, Rennie Aubergeois, who plays Tony. Aubergeois. Oh, is that how you actually pronounce it, is it? Yeah, I, had to, I looked it up. Okay, well done. <laughs> You've done better <laughs> research than I have. Well, I've, I've been saying it wrong forever. Um, so, so we're going to call him like, Rene for the rest of this uh, yeah, show. Yeah, Rene. Rene is a and lot this is, this is a tribute episode as well. When was it that he passed away? Was it actually this year? It was this year. December 8th, 2019 at 7 past oh. the hour. Okay. At 7 past the hour? <laughs> Very precise. Pronounce his death <laughs> by his bedside. <laughs> Rene very tragically passed. I'm sure the film that he would want to be remembered for is Police Academy 5 Assignment in Miami Beach, where he played Tony, the lead villain of the piece, known in the script as Tony Stark. 
full name. So, yeah. you know, this is where the MCU truly begun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what so a he, fucking origin story that is. That would exactly, be... exactly. And we're focusing. I mean, I tell on you what. Day. What Endgame was missing was a bit where they travel into this movie to try and grab a stone of some uh, kind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but hey, diamonds. The diamonds. Oh my <laughs> the god. The diamonds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should he... also say that he has won a Tony Award before yeah but not for playing tony no he and also important note he won it 16 years before this it's not like he won a tony and it was like we think you're ready for police academy five <laughs> i mean if only the tony was for police academy the musical because i mean it's right for broadway i'm sure we could all i agree. think it's about the only ratio of police academy that doesn't exist but yeah but pretty much because there has been a tv series has been an animated series as well has there been a video game? Porn parody. Can you confirm that there's been a porn parody, Matt? Or <laughs> No, this is not from experience, but I would guess, <laughs> I guess it suits it very well. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can only hope. <laughs> Rene had this to say about playing Tony in the film. He said, Why I choose to do things is a mystery to me sometimes. I've done things that on the face of it, you think, why would anybody do Police Academy 5 I did it because it was an opportunity to play a character that nobody else would let me play. I had a great time doing it. I have no regrets. And I would do it again. So there you go. That's that's in the horse's mouth itself. Like, you know, he, he knew that he was starring in a timeless piece of cinema. And he would do no, it in no, translation. No, 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 no. <laughs> me a new kitchen. <laughs> he got to spend three or four weeks in Miami for cash money. Also, I know a bunch of actors now. You, there's no job you regret. If it pays for one meal, you don't regret having done it. <laughs> That's all we're looking for. Well, well also, clearly, he was an actor who wasn't directed at this film. Just uh, just go, go do what you want. And, <laughs> you know, it's a sandpit. This is the role he's been waiting for. He actually had quite a busy year as well. So, I mean, it's not like he was hard up for work. In the same year, 1988, that this film came out, he did an episode of Murder, She Wrote. He provided <laughs> the voice of General Zod in a short-lived Superman animated TV series, which I do think I actually remember seeing some of this when I was a kid. They used a version of the John Williams theme as the actual kind of soundtrack to it. And uh, it, the look of it was quite inspired by the Fleischer Superman cartoon. So he was in an episode of that. He was also an episode of L.A. Law as well, the same year. So, I mean, you know, he was he was a jobbing actor. This is his only... Now, this is the only film that Rene committed his talents to uh, this year. You know, he was like, I only do one film a year. And this year, the only <laughs> is a It was Names of the Hat. It was Police Academy 5, Mississippi Burning. Oh, well, I know, I'm going with Police Academy 5. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, this is still five years before he would play Odo in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Now, Dan, you've been on the show before, so we are aware that you are a big fan of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, of course. I believe that's yep. your favourite iteration that, of Star yep. Trek, is it Absolutely. not? Absolutely, that's correct. Yeah. Were you a big fan of Odo as a character in Rene's portrayal? Uh, yeah, I liked Odo. I, I always liked the outsider characters in the Star Trek shows. Constable. This is a security matter. I'm in charge of security. Security here on the station. I cannot justify taking you into this wormhole. We have no idea what we're dealing with in there. It could be Major, hostile. I was found in the Denorius belt. 
I don't know where I came from. No idea if there are any others like me. All my life I've been forced to pass myself off as one of you, always wondering who I really am. Well, the answers to a lot of my questions may be somewhere on the other side of that wormhole. So before we get into the film today properly, want to flip how we usually do things here slightly. When we have a guest on, we ask for their Star Trek credentials. As you remember, we went through this with you last time, yeah. Dan, when you came on to review the first season of Picard. But this time, I'm going to ask everyone for their Police Academy credentials, because that's what we're talking <laughs> about today. So basically, if we start with you, Matt, I want to know what was your first experience of Police Academy? What have you seen? What haven't you seen? What are your favourites? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know this what, very you're well, never watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know this very well because, yes, this was a big blind spot for me. I never really saw any of these kind of growing up. Like, I don't know what channel put them on repeat all the time, but it wasn't one I was watching. ITV. 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 Cut to bits. Ooh, and, someone uh, was a BBC family showing off there. We were all ITV, common as muck. Someone was over there watching <laughs> documentaries. <laughs> and, then, and then, yeah, it was only like, I swear it was only last year, right? When you were like, let's, every time you're down in Brighton, it's crashing around mine. Let's chuck on a police academy. We'll get through the whole series. And we did the first one, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> That's the thing. I showed you the first film thinking, Matt, after this, you, you'll be gagging. You'll be begging to watch Police Academy 2, their first assignment. And that did not occur. And now I'm begging for it. something else. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get him to the Blue Oyster after that. Sweet yeah. relief. Yeah, so so number five here, Miami Beach, is, yeah, only the second I've seen. I, I kind of know of its reputation of maybe being a bit samey through parts two and three, and then it going completely the other direction for the last few, with uh, Moscow being ridiculed as the worst of the bunch, I'd say. That's yes. a common common thought but yeah I'm, I'm still intrigued to see some and once it gets over halfway the completionist in me will have to do them all so let's try not to get <laughs> well, that well this is the thing what were your thoughts going into this because you'd only seen the first one I mean you know <clears throat> cars on the table were you were you won over by the first film or you were like, you like oh it's good I've never bothered watching these I enjoyed it, but I think it I think it came in a little lower than my expectations because I think in my head I was like, well, this is going to be like Naked Gun level pop <laughs> comedy. You know? oh, and, wow. uh, <laughs> and it wasn't quite there. How old were you, Matt, when you, when you saw the first, when you first saw your first Police Academy film then? Uh, 33. Yeah. So you were t literally about 22 years too late. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, like Wrong Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't read Catcher in the Rye by the time you're 20, you'll never really appreciate it. <laughs> if you hit 12 and you haven't got into Police Academy yet, you've missed your window. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Paul, Police Academy credentials, please. Well, I was a proud owner of Police Academy on DVD. Uh, I had seen it on Channel 5. I'd never seen any of the Police Academy films up to that point. Like I saw it on Channel Five, and so I was probably too late for it. But yeah, I could appreciate for like its kind of stripes era R-rated comedies. There was tits, there was blowjob jokes, there was plenty in it to enjoy. When it actually comes down to the plot, it's just it, it always bores me shitless. When it gets the plot, I just want set pieces with gags in, and it, yeah, it did that. But I just knew that two to seven would there'd be nothing there for me, <laughs> and that was confirmed. I think when I was channel hopping and I caught a bit of part three back in training, and I was like, this is utterly awful and uh so i was approaching number five with great trepidation <laughs> and i i think 
yeah, I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> I mean, if you watched it on Channel 5, you must have seen that late in the day. Because by the time any of us lot got fucking Channel 5, that was that was late in the day. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, uh, I would have been like 16, 15, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still, you know, maybe that's still the right age. There's some, there's some tits on show and everything like that. Maybe that would have <laughs> lured, lured you in. But yeah, you never, you never ventured further apart from a few moments of back in training on the TV. Yeah, I think, I think I had seen like a clip of uh, Miami Beach one as well. I think that was from way back when. I think I remember seeing a clip of that and just you know, carried on moving through the channels, I think. <laughs> You're totally right with the stripes comparison. Okay, Mr. Push-Ups. Let's hear your story. Chicks dig me. Because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. But now I know why I have always lost women to guys like you. I mean, it's not just the uniform. It's the stories that you tell. So much fun and imagination. Lee Harvey, you are a madman. When you stole that cow and your friend tried to make it with the cow, I want to party with you, cowboy. The two of us together, forget it. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to volunteer my leadership to this platoon. An army without leaders is like a foot without a big toe. Up to 1985, you could have like 15 to 18 rated comedies, like, you know, Bachelor Party, Stripes, what else was coming out around that time? Caddyshack. Caddyshack, yeah. And they just don't, they, all the sequels were then PG to those movies. The first like, one, the, two. Uh, the first sequel, their first Simon was a 15 in the UK. I, I don't know what it was in the US. I can presume maybe uh, I, I don't think it was. I think it was a PG as well. It definitely, their first Simon was definitely a 15 because I tried to buy it on VHS from WH Smith in Boscombe <laughs> back in the day and the 1999 probably because it was a 15 <laughs> I was halted from buying their first time so that's why I remember uh, denied a, police academy too it might have been downgraded now possibly but yeah definitely a 15 when we were growing up and then PG's uh, from everything after so Dan over to you police academy credentials please uh, I think the first one I would have seen would have been uh, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, taped off ITV. The most talented graduates are back in Police Academy 4! I want to welcome all of you to Citizens on Patrol. Citizens on Patrol. The Police Academy has offered to train you citizens. You just don't think I'm fast enough anymore, do you? To better protect yourselves. Do we get to pack heat? Probably was four, five, six, uh, and then I would have seen the other, the first three, which I think maybe even the third one was a fifteen. So I couldn't see them till later on because my mum wouldn't let me see. Uh, but she was a fan of police cameras. So I remember nineteen ninety four, Mission to Moscow had been made and released, but because it was so, it was just sort of vomited out by the studio. There was no trailers. I didn't know it was out until the Friday it was out. And after CITV, there was an advert on TV for it, and I was like, oh my god, there's a new one. I told my mother, and she said, get in the car, we're going now. <laughs> <laughs> she loves police academy she loves my mother's favorite i've told people this my mother's three favorite movies are lawrence of arabia <laughs> judge dread 1995 <laughs> and then and then like it changes which police academy but one of the police academies at every given time i don't know how i'm from her but this is her taste this is the woman who made me yeah. <laughs> it was a pg in the cinema 
and <laughs> then it was 15 on video where they put the f-bomb back oh, in as one. okay that makes that makes sense because obviously i would only have ever experienced it on on vhs but yep. yeah no because i remember the 15 we know that any video emblazoned with the red 15 in a video shop was instantly cooler and we'd be reaching for that yeah 100% so yeah so we've all got a kind of uh, picture have you seen them all Dan before this I've se- I saw them completely out of order but yeah I've seen them all okay okay and you actually saw Mission to Moscow in the cinema after in the cinema the- opening fucking day <laughs> like, like, like it's Inception or something. Like, and I, I remember my, we didn't even eat anything. My mother, she, this was like four thirty, four forty-five. She's like, "Get in the car. We haven't eaten yet. Doesn't matter. We'll get something there. Get in the car." I was just gonna say, did she mistake it for a bomb threat or something? No, I said, "There's a new police academy." She was like, "Oh my god!" And I said, "Christopher Lee's in it." She was like, "Oh my god! Get in the car." I think Christopher Lee is kind of her crush, or at least back then was. Yeah. In the nineties, in the, the yeah. era, I feel peak Christopher Lee was nineteen ninety four. I think it was also a death train with Pierce Brosnan at that time as well. So yeah, he was hitting it. Oh god, I think I saw that as well. Yeah. I think she rented that because it was Alice McLean, and she liked Alice McLean. She has very specific tastes, right? And she's like, "Oh, that's Alice McLean. That'll be good." And then Christopher Lee, "Oh my god, get in the car!" You know, she's just <laughs> there's, there's a couple of those Bronholm, like uh, where he plays a UN agent before he becomes Bond. Just yeah. sort of random little Alice McLean apps that were just clearly like a uh, extended screen test. Bond. Yeah, I remember even as a kid, I remember being bored, pissless by Death Train. Okay, so before we get into this, can you have a guess at what percentage this film is on Rotten Tomatoes? Zero? Yeah, zero. Zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes is one of the few that get zero percent. This is the critic score. Well, no, do you of know course. most of all four of the last police academies all get zero? So, oh, really? It's not that right. uncommon. <laughs> So okay. it's actually the majority like, uh, for this series. Are apparently getting zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes is rare, and yet. Poor Police Academy films have managed it. Although I should point out that this is, of course, the critic score. The audience, critics know nothing. The audience gives this 31%. So, you know. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, critics. like, A star. And it's like, oh, no, still just <laughs> yeah, a meagre 31%. 100%. Um, so, yes, Police Academy 5, The Silent Miami Beach, 1988. So this is only the fifth year since the first film. The first film came out in 1984. So they're knocking out one of these a year. They're often compared to the carry-on film franchise for that reason. And also their kind of bawdy humour that I can see kind of the relation. Made for a budget of $14 million for a worldwide box office return of 54.5 million. So, you know, it more than cleaned its face. The audience was there, but it was a drop down from Citizens on Patrol, which made 76.8 million. So we we can see that it's starting to wane off. And I should say that the budget was down from 17 million for Citizens on Patrol. So I'm assuming that's... That's just, three... that's just Goots. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was like. I'm assuming that's 3 that's million. His, that's for his Goot paycheck. Money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and and the Sharon Stone of it all. Yeah, Sharon Stone, of course, was Although the... Although she wouldn't have been commanding big paychecks. That's the only reason I would ever watch that film. Yeah, seeking out early Sharon Stone. Which one was... She, she was, in... was Kim Cattrall in that one as well? She was in the first, first one. one. She was in the first one. All right, okay. Yeah, so as you point out, Paul, this was the first of the Police Academy franchise without the Goots, Steve Gutenberg. 
uh, who of course was right, he turned down short circuit too as well what the hell was he doing with his yeah life? I, I mean oh it, we know we know well we've covered it on the podcast that's exactly, what he was doing exactly exactly I was about to point out that the reason that he turned this film down is because he was busy filming Free Men and a Baby which of course we covered in our first ever spotlight at the movies because it was directed by Mr. Spock himself Leonard Nimoy do we think that the Goots made the right decision in turning down a site at Miami Beach for Free Men and well, the Baby. I think anybody who turns down a site at Miami <laughs> Beach is making the right decision. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what you're doing instead. It's a, it's a exactly. better choice. <laughs> I mean, Free Men and the Baby, I think he did, because that was a massive hit, wasn't it? It was yeah. the biggest I, biggest I reckon he was year. very much like, oh, I'm glad I have a legit excuse so that my no isn't so awkward. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry, guys. I do actually have this other thing. Because isn't he quoted as saying like, oh, yeah, after that, I wouldn't have done any more anyway. But now he's the main guy trying to make this new one happen. So he, he misses it, really. Well, this no, is he the doesn't. Thing. He misses having any income. He hasn't had an income <laughs> since... Do you remember about the last time we saw him was as the paedophile on Veronica Mars? Yes, very true. Although, of course, he was also, I discovered, in the third season of HBO's Ballers, the Dwayne Johnson TV show, uh, which actually united for the first ever time Steve Gutenberg and Matt McCoy, who plays his replacement in this film, Nick Lassard, on screen. I mean, everyone was asking for them to come together at last. Well, I'm just surprised that Matt McCoy got work after this. Let's see. <laughs> I feel like he's, t- he's rubbish in this, isn't he? But I feel like I saw him in a bunch of stuff after this in the 90s. I can't think of any what? now, but like, LA Confidential is probably the next thing I remember seeing him in. Uh, yeah, who is he in LA Confidential? I know he's in it. Is he anyone important? He's, he is the actor. He in the show. He's the you know in the show within a show that's about the LSD. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the lead in that show. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay, that's pretty cool. But also, you will know this, bruvs, Matt McCoy, uh, who, as I say, plays the Goots uh, replacement, was in Seinfeld uh, for a couple of episodes, playing Lloyd oh. Braun. Do you remember that character? Lloyd Braun. He's the guy who basically George's parents love him. I think he's like the perfect kind of like son and George hates him because of that. He's always uber he's like an old friend of the family who's always uber successful and George keeps yes, trying to yes. tell people that like lies about him basically to yeah, kind of that. discredit him. Morning man. <laughs> Morning Dad. I'm not dead in the workplace. My professional name is Mr. Costanza and I will refer to you as Costanza. Morning, Braun. Hey George. Two cream, no sugar. What is Lloyd Braun doing here? Your mother recommended him. Yeah, of course she did. That's all I ever heard growing up is why can't you be more like Lloyd Braun? You know, he was in a mental institution. I didn't read his resume. Another sale, Mr. Costanza. Chalk me up on the big board. What is this? This is your lagging. Good work, Braun. It just looks like a vintage porn star from the 80s that looks not, you know, he's the third guy at the orgy. That's the look he's given. That is very specific, that. The third guy. Yeah. It's just the background action. I mean, he's going away, doing it at all, but like, he's, he's not deep the background main focus in a, of this orgy. Porn orgy. <laughs> I mean, Matt, he was the only actor to reprise his role in the Police Can Be Porn parody, wasn't he? <laughs> he needs it he'll do it <laughs> well we're gonna uh, call that porn parody by the way uh, it's gonna be a, a police a cum dumpany <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, what a stretch. Oh, Christ. <laughs> See if you can beat it by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come back to this one. This was written by Steve Kerwick, who's mainly a writer for hire on sitcoms. The only two films he has ever written the screenplays for are this and Police Academy 6, City Under Siege. Oh. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, I think we were all Alan... hoping you were going to... I'd love if you go, the only two films you ever wrote were Police Academy 5 and Schindler's List. <laughs> or, even better for your mum, the only two films you wrote are Police Academy 5 and Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> it was directed by Alan Myerson, who directed a film called Steel Yard Blues in the 70s with Donald Sutherland in it, which I have heard of. My dad's got it, like, DVD. I bought it for him. Donald Sutherland, Jane Fonda, like what they did after Clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it good? Uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, got, it's better Peter than the Boyle Simon doing Miami a Marlon Brando impression it throughout. This is very strange. <laughs> but he also directed two episodes of Miami Vice's fifth and final season. So it seems that Assignment Miami Beach was well, he actually... Well, he probably did it while he was doing this. Like, because he's... <laughs> yeah, it's on his off days. full attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He and... just had a Saturday job directing Miami Vice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like this was <laughs> his audi- audition piece at the end of the day. I mean, he directed this in 1988. The fifth and final season of Miami Vice went out in 1989. He went on to direct two episodes of Baywatch. Uh, unlike Baywatch and Miami Vice, they are kind of like basically Baywatch, Beach, Miami Vice, Miami. It just seems like he was basically dining out on the fact that he directed the Silent Maui Beach for the rest of his career. He, his, his IMDb is brilliant. He's got like 150 credits because he's just one of those guys who directed TV for 50 years. I bet he formed no memory of Police Academy 5 or anything. This was a day is at the a, office. Is there a director's commentary on your DVD, Liam? Uh, there oh, is not. What we're really waiting for is I know there is a guy making a Police Academy feature length documentary at the moment uh much in the way uh, that there's been documentary films made about kind of the friday 13th series and stuff like that uh there's someone basically doing one of those so it's, it's going to be a seven hour yeah like, in-depth series basically drummed up as a exactly. movie <laughs> exactly into it and they'll go into everything the cartoon the series and that's being made at the moment and that's when we'll get the full Low down on a silent Miami beach. My impression of the director being interviewed for that documentary. What? I don't know. You told me there would be cake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall making this film. Show me a clip. I don't know. I have never been to Miami. Right? He will not. I swear to God. <laughs> no idea. How anybody could make this the year after Naked Gun files from the police squad came out. Because that has set the bar slightly high. And they come meet nowhere close. To be fair, Mississippi Burning is a funnier comedy than Police Academy Five. <laughs> yeah, there is a certain like laugh to be had with Gene Hackman like throwing racists downstairs and stuff. I'm not saying it's right, but I I mean I laughed more. Actually, yeah, that's the thing. Police Academy Five is as funny as race crime. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's well, Naked Gun does a great clip where he run, comes out of platoon laughing. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I can find that more than this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the thing is, is Alan Myerson, the director, he did no comedy because he went on to direct an episode of Frasier, one of my favourites, when Frasier thinks he's solved one of his dad's unsolved cases uh, with the solution that the monkey did it. And that is a hilarious episode of TV. He can do it. But this is probably not his finest hour, but we'll get to, get to opinions later. So we open 
as all Police Academy films do, with the anonymous city skyline. The majority of these were shot in Toronto, in Canada, until Police Academy 6, which was filmed in LA. Uh, but most people seem to believe the city is meant to be Detroit, which I think would fit. So, I mean, I love the way all of these movies open with the, with the skyline and the Police Academy theme. Uh, you know, immediately gives me all those nostalgic feels. Uh, which I'm sure come back to you as well, Dan. You, you, you watch these films, and at the beginning you think you immediately all that nostalgic kind of come up. Yeah, exactly. You think I, you're I, in for I'll a good honest, time. When I turn the TV on, say I'm in a hotel or something, I just check the TV on, and and that, and you see that first shot. That's basically the same in all the police academies. The mm. skyline of the city. My first thought is, please be RoboCop, and then. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Like, I literally, I, I rewatched Robocop recently and it has the same opening. It's the it? same shot. That's yeah, why I think yeah, you're yeah. right. It's probably Detroit. Yeah, 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 yeah. It probably is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That is completely bizarre. I mean, you know, a Robocop Police Academy crossover. Now, that could be getting <laughs> Robocop training the recruits. <laughs> well, I kind of think if there's anyone who is a potential candidate, for the Robocop program is Tackleberry. Oh my god. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I mean, literally, they Ooh. could easily do a crossover, I think. Well, Tackleberry gets blown away and then uh, <laughs> is revived to become Robocop. That'd be amazing. So that's sure the way to do it. Like you think we're getting like another sequel to like the that Robocop remake, and then the this is a stealth sequel to Police Academy. <laughs> it's Robocop <laughs> colon Police Academy. I mean, 8. it could happen. They've just announced today that they are doing a Robocop TV series, prequel TV series. Oh. Without Robocop, no Robocop in it, it will focus on Dick Jones, the bad guy of the first film. Do you, are, you, are you making this up? No, no, this no. is real, Paul. This is real. I, yeah. knew, just... I knew you wouldn't know about it. Yeah, so Dick Jones will be the main character and it will be kind of, you know, how. Fuck. Uh, he came to <laughs> Look, this is... Uh, is it, is it oh, just going to be like Gotham, where it's like it's Batman without Batman? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is Robocop Origins. <laughs> Dick. But it's not even Robocop what Origins. What's the name of that, like, uh, One Through the Cuckoo's Nest? Wretched. Uh, pre- yeah, yeah. Wretched. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems, it seems completely mad. It does seem like an April Fool's joke. But, you know, who's, who's to say? And, you know, if they bring Tackleberry into it, then I'm, I'm down. So we find Harrison Proctor, who are kind of the antagonists of the series, breaking into an office to find evidence of Commandant Lassard being basically too old to be in the police force any longer so they can force him into retirement. Now, I completely remember this opening being the opening of the fourth film in my head which kind of shows how much they've bled into one in my head. Mm. Because like you, Dan, I watched all these films countless times as a child and haven't really watched any of them again since. I bought the DVD box set years ago, literally about a decade ago. And I was like, yeah, DVD box set, please count me. I've got to have it. Amazing. And I've tried multiple times to start a rewatch of these films. And I've never got further than the first film. 
every time I've tried to do a rewatch until now because I knew we were doing this podcast and I thought right I've got to rewatch them all properly and so obviously I did the one with Matt and then carried on on my own as he betrayed me and didn't watch any of the rest with me and you just couldn't wait you went right in exactly I mean I literally I was like Matt I cannot wait for you to come down again what's that pandemic (laughs) kit I was like, Matt, I'm sorry, mate. I know you were desperate to watch Please Get Me To That First Assignment, but I've got to go on without you. And it sounds like d- it'd be hell with you, Liam, like in lockdown. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, we could pay Monopoly or... <laughs> yeah. seven Police Academy films. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I in my head, this was the opening to the fourth film, but obviously not. It's Police Academy number five. So they, they get rumbled by a cleaner. So it's the two guys in there. And they dangle a bra that they found in the uh, commissioner's drawer out the thing. So presumably he goes, oh, I understand. Oh, you're having an you know, affair after work. And he's absolutely fine with it. Then you hear the other guy say, thank you. So it's two men in there. And then the next thing you find out is the commissioner's cleaner has quit. Yeah. So he was fine with the extramarital affair, but a bit of a homophobe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and that's I, I had uh, weirdly I had a lot of issues with that character who appears for 12 seconds quite a lot so first of all I, I wrote the same thing down homophobic fuck but also <laughs> the fact is they mentioned at one point that it's 3am why is he still cleaning at 3am you don't work all night if you're a cleaner why is he only still only vacuuming it's you, it's a five hour job After five, you're home by ten what is that this is such a trope of 80s movies that cleaners are there between five in the evening and nine the next morning <laughs> Look, it's a big building Dan alright <laughs> right, if it's just him <laughs> yeah, he's the only cleaner working. He works his finger to the bones to feed his family, and all you can do is have a go at him. Yeah. He's a slow worker. He's burdened by all well, that clearly, homophobic rage. He's, exactly. Him. Yeah, he's too busy on his shift, raging against, frankly, a changing world. <laughs> well, this week I was watching this opening sequence, and one of my notes is literally just, "Did they forget to add the jokes?" These two cops, they have this sort of weird buddy dynamic where you think, oh, this is ripe for comedy. And they don't really do anything other- with it other than the same kind of shtick for the whole film, really. Which is talking loud at each other and overacting. Yeah. Even George Gaines, who really is the finest actor in the entire series, as Commandant Lassard, even he is mugging to the point of desperation in this one. They basically have to revisit the first film where they do another blowjob joke at the lecture. Yeah. And because it's a PG, you're like... Well, you wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, who's it for? Yes. Mind you of better times. This takes us on to the kind of second scene where basically there's another police academy graduation. And as you say, uh, one of the cadets accidentally bumps into a female cadet who kind of falls down on her knees and her face lands in Commandant Lassard's crotch. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I, I found that moment really horrible. <laughs> like, I was just mm. like, oh my God. God, that's like horrific. I mean, like more so than the blowjob joke in the first film where Steve Gutenberg hires a sex worker to basically give a blowjob underneath the uh, to Commandant Sard uh, while he's giving. No, he doesn't. It's a it's an accident. Oh, is it? Like, is it? Yeah. Remind me what happens. Like, well, because she's there for somebody else, he hides her under there, and she then just blows the what the one guy turns up, and he has to deliver a PowerPoint essentially mm. whilst getting noshed off. Yeah, but she's got a job to do, Paul. <laughs> she does it. You know? Could we have the lights turned down? Now this first slide shows a very 
very interesting thing. Our main building. In slide two, we see another view of it. Oh my God, you wouldn't believe it. Let us look at this slide for a moment without comment. I think it speaks for itself. Yeah, but I find that less dodgy because, you know, she'd go, oh, she's a sex worker, you know, she's she's been paid. She's been paid to provide a service. <laughs> Whereas this is kind of just, like, randomly nasty. It's a graduation just... humiliation is what it is. Yeah, We're all, yeah, we're all exactly, fear tripping exactly. up or we're picking up our fucking diploma or whatever. She spent all these years training to be a police officer, to be respected, and then that's the first thing that happens. Yeah. I mean, that's no good, is it? And, uh, of course, Commandant on the side, as you mentioned, is played by George Gaines. Now, you are obviously a fan of George, Dan. I mean, do we think poor man's Leslie Nielsen, or are you going to stand up for him? They're both great. They're actually very different. The blowjob scene for Police Gaines, I happen to watch that today. He is incredible in it. He does it entirely with his eyes. And even in this, he's very good. It's just he's not given anything worth doing. I, I, I'm a big fan of his. I think, I, think he's, um, I think he's... I haven't seen much else he's in. Probably just this and um, the Mel Brooks film. Um, oh, to be or not to be. Everything I've seen him in, he nails. I've got to agree with you, to be completely honest, because I think he is the funniest thing about this film. Like the oh, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I agree. He gets the best moment of the film where he, uh, you know, says, "Oh, it's for real," and then he just beats up yeah. the guy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And yes. it just it would have been better if the rest of the film had been shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, because funny enough, right? This that stuff that you were talking about comes actually really late in the day when he gets kidnapped and stuff. And again, my memory playing tricks on me. My memory had this film as being really funny all the way through because. What I remembered was him getting kidnapped early on and being with the gangsters like all the way through the film. And all that stuff is the funniest stuff when he doesn't believe it's a real thing. Everything like that. That's that's all the funniest gags. Well, the film essentially is that setup, and then you could cut out everything in the middle and just go to that next bit. It's really just two scenes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I figured because, this would be an what 80s is the comedy filler with in like... this film. It's just screen time to the quite big cast at this point. And all they're doing is just like, it seems to be on a holiday, like yeah. having a bit of fun. And even that those pieces don't really lead to anything. They're just got kind of a lot of vignettes. You That's know. exactly it. It feels like this will be an 80s comedy that can coast on its comedic set pieces. But, it, but it, you're in a setting where you're literally cops in a new city where you could be foiling something like there's in other words there's opportunity for a plot to happen and this is just well, one they never that leave the hotel. almost entirely like, no they don't, they don't that's the extraordinary well, it, thing isn't it they, they, everything it seems reminds... to happen in the one place for most until the third act really um, yeah, yeah. and a little bit on the beach weirdly because 14 million is a chunk of change for a budget right and it feels a lot cheaper than that even for that that's time that's the thing it reminds me of Vegas Vacation which is the best vacation film I'll die on that hill <laughs> <laughs> Because it was all, it was all shot at the Mirage okay, in Las Vegas. So. Now, I don't mind that because I like the Mirage. Um, <laughs> Let's hear your Vegas vacation defense, Paul. Oh, <laughs> there is no defense. <laughs> Let's see, Audrey. Honey, I'm home. Look out, America. The Griswolds are ready to get away. To fantastic Las Vegas. But there's some things they just can't get away from. Uh -huh. 
believe it? They used to test H-bombs on this beautiful piece of property. Don't you worry about radiation. All I know, Clark, is that my teeth have never been whiter and my garden is spitting out 50-pound tomatoes. <laughs> Hose down now, kids. Chicken's almost ready. Let's let them get into some trouble. Great. Love ya. I'm starting my vacation! Are you thinking of dancing, honey? She's got a body for it. You're in Vegas. Love. Together, they're visiting the wonders of the world. Hoover Dam. I am your damn guide. Take all the damn pictures you want. Now, are there any damn questions? Yeah, where can I get some damn bait? And enjoying world-class entertainment. Ooh. Holy cow. Way Newton's hitting on mom. <laughs> This guy's with us, you take care of him. Thank you. The Torch of the Griswold Vacation. <laughs> Ten years of tap dancing lessons and this is how you repay me? Is being passed to a new generation. Rusty! Now out of the pool! Let's go, you man! Yeah. Now. Chevy Chase. Oh. This is Steve. Beverly D'Angelo. Feeling lucky tonight, Sparky? Not right now, honey. They're teaching me back right. Randy Quaid. Has anybody ever told you before your bad luck? Those were my mother's dying words. Vegas Vacation. Get ready for a real trip. Okay, the best bit is when they go to like the casino out of town and it's basically just games like rock, paper, scissors yeah. and things like that. That's pretty funny, guy. <laughs> and then they go to, to the our uh, love of Las Vegas. No, no. I just, I just remember laughing more in Vegas Vacation than everyone. I That's mean, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've seen two of the Vacation films. The original, no, actually three, if you include the remake. I've seen the original. I've seen the Christmas Vacation, and I've seen the remake. And oh. I didn't like any of them particularly. So, you know, so I, 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 if you say Vegas Vacation is the best, I, I can buy it because I don't I, really I think am they're wrong, against. But <laughs> I, didn't, I also didn't like any of them. So it was basically best of that. But. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they're up against stiff competition, in my personal opinion. So we've got kind of all the introductions to the various different characters and their kind of shtick. Now, all the characters are very one note. Tackleberry likes guns. Michael Winslow's Jones, he does funny voices. Callahan has big tits and is commanding. Can sum up these characters in one line very easily. Yeah, I was trying to work yeah. out which characters are returning from that first one because I couldn't quite remember. Obviously, like Winslow and all that, I could. But I was thinking, I was wondering, is this a series of films where the cast rotates out every time if it's a different yes, class of yeah. graduating people? Yeah. So, yeah, so these returning guys at this point, they're... Oh, a lot of them have been in from the start. Yes. It's people, yeah. It's people dropping out. It's not like a new cast every time. It's just they've lost the people who had dignity. Um, <laughs> and I... I just, well, a few times you're going to hear that in the same sentence as Steve Gutenberg. But Steve Gutenberg's gone. Bobcat Goldthwait had given up. And then the one that they used to partner him with did want to do another one. But they were like, ah, you won't be funny without Bobcat Goldthwait. So he lost his job. Um, which was... God, imagine... You're not funny without Bobcat Goldthwait. There's a fucking damning <laughs> curse. Don't want me for me. Uh. <laughs> then they brought in House, who is Bubba yep. Smith's uh, nephew. 
Yeah, I think nephew was... or brother, cousin, one the one the yeah. third. Yes, in Citizens on Patrol, he's in shoes. Yeah. And, and it's the butt is... of just horrendous like fat jokes the whole yeah. way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Him, His yeah. big joke is he's fat, that's it. Like and it adds to the totally one note and he's only in two films. He's in Citizens on Patrol on this. So basically they they kind of got rid of all of the fat jokes they could do in two films and then moved on. Did anybody do an official falling in water count? Uh, no. <laughs> There's a lot of people that fall in swimming Did you pools. Do sponsored by Tag Her. It must be, I'm going like, to say 11. I didn't, Callum. I couldn't. <laughs> but there was a lot. Are we talking per person who falls in or per actual falling in incident? Actual because falling. obviously there's the scene yeah. where about 15 people go in at the same time. It, I suppose that counts as one instance. Yeah, yeah. I one think, instance yeah. of it, I would say. Yeah. Still quite a Let's lot. Just be generous. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when Nick, the, the new guy, Matt, was his face, when, when he starts chatting up the other new officer and doesn't realise who she is and he's being instantly lechy yeah. and creepy, like it's good just, to yeah, get, he gets his ass clear, chucked in the that, pool. That is a physical sexual assault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is Matt McCoy playing Nick Lassard, the replacement for the Goots who, to show that he's got the pervy Goots credentials, he goes up to a girl uh, at the side of the pool, claims to be the poolside masseuse, and starts massaging her to basically... Instantly starts touching her up. It's like, oh my God. And uh, this is Janet Jones, who is kind of the love interest for the film. And she instantly kind of turns around to him and says, like, you think I want to be touched up by a massive creepo? And throws him into the pool and i you know what i was quite glad this because i thought being that this is a police cami film she'd turn around and kind of be loving it basically and you know his <laughs> his creepo tendencies would be rewarded but the fact that well, she, she almost kind of lets him get away with it because i was glad that she threw his ass in the pool but then yeah, when definitely. they start chatting again she's kind of it's like she's saying oh yeah it was just a bit of flirtation wasn't it really yeah that's very true the fact that they do actually build up a sort of love interest kind of shows mm. throws that away. Although that never really amounts to anything, does it? They kind of flirt throughout the film, but do they ever actually properly get together in the end? Yeah, he, I think, yeah, that's what I think it's implied that he syringes her towards the end of the film, <laughs> knocks her out, and um... <laughs> um, it's it's also good. It's like well, it reminded me of the best sunburn gag I've ever seen in something, which isn't in this movie because we have the scene where. <laughs> Um, he tries to introduce himself to Captain Harris, who tells him to get out of his sun because he's getting a suntan. And so he goes back and uh, amazingly does not wake him up by putting cold sun cream on his body yeah. and p- puts the word dork on him. But I saw a better gag in Sooty and Co. <laughs> <laughs> which is when, when Sooty and the gang take Matthew to the Costa del Sol and Matthew's sitting on the you know um, outside bit of the veranda and he says, no, you go go off now, sweet. Go to the beach. And so they all, they all bugger off to the beach and leave him there for his suntan. And he's sleeping behind a trellis fence. And in this world, the sun doesn't move. <laughs> so he wakes up with a trellis burn across his face. Matthew, Matthew, wake up. I found it and I was right. You are in big trouble. <sighs> What? What do you mean I'm in big trouble? What do you mean? What? Well, I've been looking in the Spanish dictionary, and that sunblock you were using, the yeah. word on the tube didn't mean sunblock at all. What? It said dentifrico, and that is the Spanish word for toothpaste. Toothpaste? Mm. What do you mean I've been rubbing toothpaste all over my body? Yes, but that's not the 
the important bit. The important bit is that the toothpaste doesn't stop you from burning. <laughs> oh, 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 you're right, sir. Ouch, I'm sunburned. Yes, and it's a pity that you chose to go to sleep behind that trellis, isn't it, Matthew? It tickled me anyway. Yeah, that's more imaginative it, than just dork. <laughs> it, it, so, it sounds amazing. I mean, I, I, I loved to back in the day. And those episodes, I'm pretty sure, were only like 20 minutes or something. So, you know. More gags in 20 minutes of Sooty and Co <laughs> than 90 minutes of Operation Miami Beach. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. Of course, we have Michael Winslow, who plays Jones, famous for doing the funny voices. Now, you might remember a classic moment, The Simpsons, where Homer talks about Gersey, the Police Academy films. They say he didn't hear anyone laughing during the uh, movie, apart <laughs> from the guy who makes funny voices, which is Michael Winslow. Do we think he's funny? Because I've got to say, I think his shtick is growing tired by this film. You know, if I've been watching this for five films straight, I don't know how I'd survive, but just from this alone, I was just like, you know, is this meant to be funny? Like, mm. if he's like someone on the street selling like bird whistles or something, then fine. But like, as a comedic <laughs> anchor to your studio comedy, like, no. It's quite a good setup where he's setting off the uh, metal detector for Harris going through, doing the beeps, and he's gradually un, you know, getting more and more agitated. But the joke would have been better if then the police came over and then just took Harris for like, you know, to check he wasn't carrying anything inside him, and that would have been hilarious. That would have been a better yeah. end to that joke. Yeah, because there's actually it's better like, jokes you can do it. with that character, but they don't, so he's just kind of left to almost just improv noises, and it's like, yeah. well, this, this means nothing. <laughs> the, the bit where he's on a plane and he pretends that he's got the commissioner's hair and plays the oh, violin yeah. on it. That wasn't worth the role of film. <laughs> <laughs> Let Mate, alone I my time. Yeah. Work out what That's like a 30 doing. second I was shot. Like, what are you doing? I don't even understand. I, do you know what? I actually went back and watched it again. So I must have missed a set out here. <laughs> oh no, I saw the whole thing. It's just nothing. It's the way he sat next to a kid who's watching and laughing as if to say like, see this kid finds it funny. You in the audience need to laugh as well. This is yeah. something, I tell you. So yeah, children trapped on planes for three-hour flights are the only audience for this film. delirious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this reveals kind of thing about the jokes in this film, I think, that a lot of them simply just don't make sense. And that's a problem. Like, the, the thing with Jones, where he's basically pretending to be the security scanner going off, I was like, but the security guard wouldn't be fooled by that because there must be something else to indicate that like you know there must be a visual kind of indicator of the alarm going off not just the sound they must know that that's not real so why are they hassling him that doesn't make sense Very funny, Jones. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the animal kingdom does not fare well in this film either. We have fish, sharks and crocodiles beaten or threatened throughout the film. Yeah, see, that, like, that bit with the shark the I thought the... was going to be a gag that was funnier than what it ended up because I thought it was going to be one of those classic things you get in these era of movies where it's some kid in like a shark fin suit and so the guy was going to, you know, point his gun at him and some like four-year-old would stand up wearing a shark fin and be like, oh no, mister, please. But instead that was just meant to be a real <laughs> shark and he just yeah. threatened a shark that looks like it was made out of plastic. Almost all the jokes in this feel like they got to the, the three-quarter way point of it being an actual complete joke. And somebody yeah, said... Not even a good ah, one, well, just a complete one. 
Am yeah. I making this up? Was there like an animated fly or something? Or an animated animal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's an animated fly, cartoon yeah. fly. Yeah, there's cartoon fly. When Tackleberry is at the shooting range and he's being convinced to basically give his guns back and then he sees a cartoon fly and he grabs the gun and he blows it away. Not funny. Okay. And it will <laughs> run forward. It's a comedy that has set pieces that aren't comic set pieces. They're just things that happen. It, and it, I, I have a horrible feeling that they went, oh, that's good enough. We'll figure out how to make it funny in the edit. And can you imagine being the editor getting this shit back from Miami every day? Just to like, make oh. it work. They did what they uh, could. Or I've been, been in their work. position, right? And I'm not the best of this, but I've, I've had stuff that we've just had the footage for something funny. And your heart just sinks when you go, I don't know, maybe put a slide whistle at the end but we've already done that for the last three scenes you know it's that <laughs> level of desperation to it I mean do you think you could have saved Police Academy 5 and Sight Miami Beach in the edit now a re-edit I mean I, I don't know what other footage there was I mean there's you there's stuff that maybe if there was like say there's an original three hour cut you think right is there stuff I know there's things I would try but I but I can't with what exists the 89 minutes or whatever it is no but I'm sure there was additional footage, and I'm wondering if that could have been repurposed or you know stuck onto another scene just so that you the the, um, the juxtaposition of scenes somehow makes it funnier. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's things you could do, but on the other hand, why fucking bother? It's a police academy movie. I mean, what I'd ask is: is there a Snyder cut of Police Academy Five? <laughs> Coming to HBO Max next year. For, for I, I think I there's probably. Yeah. What? A Snyder cut? Like, you mean something that makes it worse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is a Warner Brothers film, so it's, it's potentially it's viable for HBO Max. Will we see the four hour cut of Police Academy 5, Silent Miami Beach, split into four part movies? Well, it's weird. It's one of those things, isn't it, where it's like, I wonder if it's just the crushing schedule of getting one of these out a year, but it feels like, you know, this yeah. really is an advertisement for if you just spend the time on the script before you start, get it yeah. working on the page, and just shoot that. It, you're going to get something, but it doesn't feel like they've even done that before they find themselves in a Miami hotel with cameras rolling. It's like, fuck. No time. No time, man. <laughs> like, no time. Like, well, there must be more stuff to it. Isn't there a bit where like, they introduce the mayor's wife who actually has a speaking part and that's it. She introduces herself and there's no follow-up to that. Oh, that, and, that, that and what, the Miami um, mayor's yeah. wife? Yeah. The when they get to a man at the airport. She turns up uh, and the mayor is looking at uh, the uh, God, I can't remember him, uh, the, the blonde cop's breasts, and the joke is the mayor Callahan. is caught. Callahan, <laughs> and he's yeah. looking at her breasts, and then and then the, the mayor's wife turns up. It's it's all pointless. Thing is, also, it it costs money to hire actors. It just feels like a lot of that fourteen million has been blown on things that they just aren't needed or funny or thought out. And none of the people in this are funny. Like, you can't give anything to Bubba Smith, for example, and just say, ah, he'll make it funny. No, he won't. He's a former quarterback. You need to give him a funny script. And I'm not complaining, because he, he clearly had a good career, this Alan Myerson, but he's a guy who is a TV director who just said, uh, here's the script, here's what we're going to shoot, and we go the fuck home. And it, it is very, very workmanlike. Yeah, but it's also the producer of these th- series. Now, what's the name of this guy? Paul Maslansky. Paul Lamansky. Maslansky. Now, he's essentially like the worst like showrunner slash creator this franchise could possibly wish for because he's can, he does not care about the quality of his of his intellectual property he's got a real hit on his hands but it's continually running it into the ground mm. but he's defending it like it's brilliant every time like if you read the quotes he says you know oh no it's it's, it's fantastic like and you know he's still kind of like you know get money out of this corpse or a franchise the fact that he's so deluded is really clear from the amount of times he's had to re- try to reboot it 
like looking at that kind of like the development hell it's going through this like eight film like the things he's coming out with you're like this is the guy who produced please can be five and six and like he still thinks like people want this yeah Paul Melansky is his name. I should say that when Police Academy 4 Citizens on Patrol was released, critic Rex Reed said he'd quit <laughs> as a critic if they made another Police Academy. Paul Melansky said that this is one of the main reasons for making a fifth film. Unfortunately, Rex did not keep <laughs> to his word. He did not quit when the Silent Miami Beach was made. Was he forced to then <laughs> review it and be like, damn well, it? Well, yeah, I, uh, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to take back his word. So the crux of this film involves, uh, as I say, uh, Lassard being named Police Officer of the Decade and the big award ceremony will be held in Miami Beach where there is going to be kind of a police officers convention as well and they all head over to Miami. They get on a plane and this is where there's <laughs> another one of the jokes which doesn't make any uh, sense as far as I'm concerned where House, who's Hightower's cousin or nephew or whatever, literally at one point he gets up off one side of the plane and walks onto the other side of the plane and the plane instantly starts to droop down onto that side as if he's weighing the plane down down but then he gets back onto the other side and it evens out i was like right that made any fucking sense at all instantly because surely if he's that heavy he'd weigh the other side down as well you can't oh. tell me that the other side is completely I, I, evenly weighed out i hate to leap to the defense of this but <laughs> there's there's three blocks of so he's not moved to the other side he's moved to the central block of the plane not uh. not what would be his right hand side but yeah, it's a seven forty-seven. Seven forty-seven. Cool. Someone only flies fucking Aer Lingus, the little ones, <laughs> right? I, um, so that in the world of the show of, of the of the film, it makes sense. In the world of actual physics, you are right. This is dog shit. <laughs> Look, I didn't realise Professor but Brian. I, think, I thought Liam. I thought you were actually going to just like planes work out. No, the plot is you're, it's this. It's jewel thieves. Jewels in a bag. They're flying down from Miami. They switch bags with Lassard by accident at the airport. And are trying to get the bag back. Yes. And it's just a succession of like close calls where they've almost got the bag back, but Lassard, clueless as ever, pulling a, a full dreb in on us, manages to keep the jewels away from them, except eventually they just kidnap him and do an extraordinarily long but exceedingly slow chase uh, through the Everglades. I think there's some to film up where they have like these three hovercraft and the three heroes pursuing the, uh, the kidnappers. And then they just pull up to a bank and just leisurely step off said vehicles really slowly i <laughs> just any forward momentum this film had just like goes down to a crawl just before the final shootout Although yeah it feels it like it only s- finally comes alive by the time they end up in that hovercraft chase making real use of like miami florida everglades type thing but up until that i was waiting for this kind of stuff throughout but i do think the everglades chase is actually quite impressive like you know much as it's second unit stuff i'm sure i think that bit actually looks quite good i know one of the second unit directors worked on James Bond films previously. So, you know, he's got some got some credo with kind of directing action scenes, I'm sure. And no, I don't know what you, like, we watched a different film. Like it was awful. Like yeah. anyone can drive one of those hovercraft things in a straight line 
while a helicopter films it. They didn't crash into each other and explode and kill some stuntmen. That's the best we can hope for of this film. And the best review of Police Academy 5 is nobody died. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. And it was in focus. I think the chase is better than the scene of Police Academy 3 back in training where they're all on jet skis and they're going across the ocean. They're not even chasing anyone there. They're just going to the place where the bad guys are. And we still focus on them for about 10 minutes just on their jet skis going to the actual place. So, you know. What do you all make of René himself with his with his role here? Because he's clearly a very different character here than he is as, as Odo. I haven't seen him in much else, I don't think. Uh, not that I'm aware of. I've got a feeling he's one of those character actors who probably is in more than you're aware of. But you can tell he is kind of like, like that quote said that you read from him at the start, Liam. It feels like he is just doing what he wants and having a blast. And it is just such a shame that he's not supported by anything competent at all. But... Well, we've got work, Jonah Hill's know. dad there. Did you ever see what? One of, his, one of his goons just looks like Jonah Hill, like but an older version. Oh, it's funny you say that about different people looking like different people, because one of his goons, I thought, looked exactly like Norman Pace of Hale and Pace. Uh, I don't know where anyone <laughs> else was like that, but literally there's a, one of his goons is played by a guy called Archie Ham, And I actually had to look both of because I, I literally was watching it. I was like, is that fucking... Pace from Hell and Pace. And I had to look it up. I was like, no, it's not. It's another guy. Now I looked at photos of them both side by side. He looks so like him. But he's just doing this larger than life sort of Italian gangster shtick, isn't mm. he? Like a uh, really deep fake tan. <laughs> it's sort of a little bit of a cultural appropriation going on here. Uh, he's, he's not Italian. <laughs> I, I thought for sure he was like Canadian until I looked up his Wikipedia. I think but, he's uh, good. But, I think he's good in this. But he's he, his introduction is... He callously crushes a child's toy. So that's how we know he's a bad guy. And I, I think he's funny. Like the bit where he gets so agitated that he just attacks Lassard. He's like, give me my camera. Yeah. Like, I think it's really funny. I, I wrote that down. That is the only part I thought that was funny. When he's finally just so desperate, he's just, just give me the bag. And he, that, he yeah, that, that's the only part I think I, I genuinely made a noise. And it wasn't a big noise. It was sort of like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that there's very few moments that I openly laughed at this film to the point that I actually started writing down the gags where I actually emitted a chuckle during this movie. And there are there are a few where I did actually kind of laugh. And some of them supplied by G.W. Bailey, who plays Harris, who I do think is a, just a funny comic performer. I do think mm-hmm. his delivery is funny, no matter what he's doing, the kind of way he talks. Like, even when he's kind of, like, you know, explaining <laughs> the secret to a good tan to no one in particular, I think is funny. Uh, there's also a very random thing where Harris keeps slapping Proctor's ass. Um, yeah, I love that. Then what is that about? <laughs> I mean, I can only assume this is to do with the secret relationship Harris and Proctor have behind closed doors, as exampled by the opening scene where we had the homophobic cleaner. Yeah, there's a slight Burns and Smithers situation there, I think, maybe. Yes. Should be explored. I think so. I think they should dig deeper into that if we ever get Police Academy 8, certainly. They should accept Uh, who they are, okay? They should be happy with who they are and comfortable. That's that's what I would like to see in the next. Yeah, 100%. Lassard at the airport... The gag begins of he's carrying some golf clubs and his golf balls keep falling out of it and people keep slipping over on the golf balls. Now, I remember finding this 
hilarious as a child. <laughs> Top class physical <laughs> comedy. Uh, what did the rest of you think about <laughs> oh, Anyone think... slipping on anything cylindrical and flying arse over tit. I mean, that's gold when you're very young. <laughs> everyone, everyone at home who's listening to this, we're going to turn this into a drinking game now. Every time somebody says, as a child, I found this hilarious. <laughs> Chug a lug. <laughs> well, this is the thing. It's like the last time I watched this movie, and I watched this movie fucking loads of times as a kid, I, I found it hilarious. So it was... It was sad going back to it. And really, well, it the day it? before this rewatch, Liam, you had it as three stars on Letterboxd before your, your soon-to-be-revealed <laughs> really? three ranking. Three out of five, this is very true. So basically, in my memory... Yeah, I was going to like call out all the films you rated like lower than Please Give Me Five, <laughs> but I'm glad you saw sense to lower it to a very generous three out of ten. Yeah, so basically... In my head, before this rewatch, at Police Academy was very much a case of diminishing returns. So I really did think that looking over all seven, it was just a case. The first one was, you know, Five comedy stars. masterpiece, classic. And then afterwards, it gradually goes downhill step by step. But only only incrementally. So I was like, you know, I had Police Academy 5, uh, Simon Miami Beach as a free stars on Letterboxd, uh, which is the uh, movie uh, review website we're all members of, uh, Matt and Paul. And yeah, I was like, you know, that is a solid three-star comedy flick. Then when I rewatched it for this, I realised that, you know, perhaps it isn't the case. Now, you, you know, I should... Exactly. I should say to listeners that, you know, I only rewatched this properly kind of today, basically. You know, so this week, I gradually saw the reactions coming in because Dan, Paul and Matt all watch this, rewatch this before me. So Dan tweeted about it, um, um, you know, made it clear that he thought that the you know, child version of himself was an idiot for liking this film. So I thought, oh, <laughs> clearly, clearly Dan didn't enjoy what he saw. Then Paul published his star rating of the film. Half a star, Dan. Not even a full yeah. star, half a star. And when interrogated about this star rating, he said he was being generous. So, you know, I knew we were on a bad track. And then Matt watched it, one star, one star awarded to a silent Mayo Beach. And a generous you know, Matt, Exactly. And Matt, and I would say, is a generous man when it comes to kind of movie ratings in general. And I was just like, wow, okay. So I went in knowing, like, you know, if I was to like this film, I'd be up against it. And watch it, you know, like oh, I said, don't, I don't let us sway you. You <laughs> Look, your, your taste is your one true God. Don't let us bully you. If you think this is a 10 out of 10 movie, uh, if you love this, if this gave you anything, everything you need cinematically, don't let us say that you're an idiot. Look. Just know that you are. But still, don't <laughs> let us be the ones who put that idea in your head. Look, star ratings are still to be revealed at the end of the <laughs> podcast, uh, or my one at least. So, you know, we, we, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, yeah, that's, so they all kind of carry over onto the plane. There's basically, as I say, Callahan's big joke is really that she's hot with big tits, but also commanding as kind of demonstrated on the plane where there's some kids basically eyeing up her breasts. She's got her eyes closed, but she realises she has spidey sense over her breast being perved on, and she turns around to the kids and says, eyes left. 
and they can't do it for a second and then go, I'll get drawn back to the tits. That That's her big joke. But I will say that I had a big crush on Leslie Easterbrook as a kid and I've, I've still got it. It's still there. Ten she stars. A, there we yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. Ten <laughs> stars just for Leslie Easterbrook. Yeah, so we get introduced to Matt McCoy, who is Nick Lassard, who is the Goots replacement. So he turns up wearing a cardigan to show us what a cool guy he is. And he's chasing what seems to be an old woman, uh, but is actually It's Dominic Cummings in a dress. I don't know if anyone else noticed that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I should say that Matt McCoy was also in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. He was in the episode The Price from season three. I don't know if you remember that one, Paul. I know you're a big Next Generation fan. Was he a Betazoid in it? Maybe. I do not know. Okay, I do not. So he is another link to Star Trek in it. And, you know, through him, we get the first moment of emotion in the film where Lassard sees the big kind of, you know, photo of him uh, for the police officer of the decade ceremony. And he gets a bit, he gets a bit upset because he's going to be made to retire. And there's kind of a more. You, you say this is the first moment. It's the only moment. Man, this is this is moving stuff. There's a mournful version of the theme uh, coming, the police academy theme, by Robert Folk, who was the composer of the first film. Now, I would say Robert Folk is the unsung hero of the franchise because he composed the score for the first film, which is a great score, a- amazing theme, amazing theme. And a really, really good score in general. Like, there's, in the first film, uh, a riot occurs, and his kind of score to that riot is absolutely amazing. think they brought him back to do new scores or anything i think they just reused all his scores in, it, in yeah. the latest film and so we get a mournful version of the police academy theme in that moment and george gates is a very nice little performance of being mournful about not being able to continue to be a police officer and that is nice and matt mccoy backs him up well and actually, I would say Lassard and Matt McCoy, they give us all the emotional weight of the film because later when Lassard is kidnapped, Matt McCoy is trying to stop the bad guys from kidnapping Lassard and he can't. And he has a real look of hopelessness on his face. And then when they actually get in the lift and they've got away, he kicks a bin. Intense stuff. And, you know, I think you know the moments of the Police Camera franchise where they get serious, they're few and far between in the first film <laughs> It's when the, the riot occurs and... You're, I think, Liam, you're scraping the barrel he kicked for a moment here. <laughs> Look, Paul, this is serious stuff, okay? Like, the first film, Mahoney has been ousted from the police force and then the riot happens and he puts the police uniform anyway and illegally gets on the bus to kind of stop the riot. And, oh, fucking hell, it's intense stuff, okay? And so, you know, I think these, these little moments 
where everything can't turn serious and the police can't be franchised are to be valued. I think you care more about those moments than they probably did writing them, yeah. shooting them. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Probably true. Uh, probably true. But I'll but I'll hold on yeah. to it. I'll hold on to it. <laughs> Uh, I, I tell you what, none of the cast can fucking frisbee. Uh, I tell you that for nothing. Because they're playing frisbee on the beach and literally none of them catch that frisbee, like, ever. Apart from uh, Proctor, who gets the frisbee thrown at him by Hightower and kind of flies off screen. So it's, there's, Again, and there's a physics issue. He catches the frisbee, which at the moment of being caught, stops spinning, but somehow still has the momentum from the throw. It's well, annoying. This <laughs> the aerodynamics of this film are shit. This actually follows up later when, at the beginning of the film, uh, Lassard's about to sit down at the ceremony and he hasn't got a seat there, so Hightower kicks a seat yeah. underneath him so he'll be okay. And Hightower, obviously, like I say, all the characters are one note in Police Academy, his big thing is that he's very strong and he's very big and so he can do that. But at the end of the film, Proctor sees that Harris is about to sit down without a seat and he kicks a chair underneath him. Now, at this point, he kicks the chair so hard that Harris lands on the chair and then the chair continues to move until mm. he falls into a fucking drum. So we're meant to believe that Proctor is actually secretly stronger than Hightower. Like, how's this fucking making yeah, that, sense? That's one of those jokes where it feels like it should be Proctor first, and then Hightower does it at the end, and the gag is that he kicks it so hard it flies him into the drum. I yeah, guess they yeah, just exactly. didn't bother to do a second draft on who was where. <laughs> Mate, I fucking rewound it three times because I was convinced that, oh, a Hightower must push Proctor out of the way and kick it himself. The way to do that gag, I think that is funnier, and I know that's... We're not really talking about that because it's Police Academy, but... If GW Bailey falls down, he falls flat on his ass, and there's a beat, and then in the frame, the chair slowly slides just into him and nudges him, and then we cut. That's the way that joke works better, but it's still... I'm not a big fan of chair humour in general. <laughs> yeah, but GW Bailey, I, I've got to say, I, I do, like you say earlier, uh, appreciate like his kind of style of delivery. I quite I remember enjoying him as a kid move in the it, first move movie. It, move it. You will endure an extremely rigorous physical training program. Do you know what that means? Hooks. I'm not sure, sir. What? Voice commands. We will learn to use our voices with authority. Won't we hook? Now, have any of you had any military training? Mm -hmm. I serve with the U.S. Army Airborne 209th Special Forces Unit. Anybody else? You have had prior military training, Mahoney. Well, yes, but not in this life, sir. What? In a previous life, I served with Her Majesty's Forces in India. Interesting sideline here. If you're trying to get thrown out of here, Mahoney, I'm afraid that's quite impossible. I loved him in Short Circuit 1, where he plays exactly yes. the same character. He only ever really played this character. He played the same part in Mannequin as well. Ah, which I've not seen. Uh, ah, so yeah, it's three, three franchises yeah. he had. In. And because he, I, I, it's one of those moments in this that I think when his trousers fell down for the third or fourth time, I Googled him <laughs> thinking, I bet this poor sod is Shakespeare, is like classically trained. And I was, I was interested to find out, he didn't train as an actor. 
until five or six years after this movie came out. That's when he went back to college to do, a, uh, I think, a, a Bachelor of Arts as an actor back in the university in Texas where he was from. Can you imagine? Obviously, he was a mature student. Can you be, imagine being a student your first day in college with the, you know, yeah. and then you turn to your left and it's fucking that guy from Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> but like this is sounds like a film in itself a better film than any of these it's like the guy from police academy goes to college to study acting and it's the crazy yeah. you know reactions of all yeah. the young didn't actually Robbie Dangerfield kind of did that because he did back to school yeah but I love how you say it was the third time his trousers fell down you thought this guy must be Shakespearean child that's that. Uh, it was. It wasn't. He must be. It was more it's sort of like I bet this yeah. poor fucker is as well because I, I had the same. <laughs> I had the same thing when 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 Rene is goes into the plain toilet and then there's that smash cut and then he opens it up and he's being doused with water from the thing, and I was like, it's just I'm sure he had a lovely time, but it's just not. It feels undignified for a for a shit yeah. who was. I was worried trained. his uh, his fake tan would come off like that. I, I bet because if you watch closely, you can tell he walks into the bathroom and then there's a cut, which I bet yeah. was for them having to put on like industrial strength tan. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think we can easily say Rene, our reason for being here today is one of the top three things about the film. Like if we say that, oh, yeah. like George Gaines, it's, it's not a great performance or a role, but he is at least entertaining when he's on screen. I'm actually enjoying his, his bits and looking at his career in more detail, like he started his career back with Robert Altman and was in one of my favourite movies, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. By this point, they kind of had thinned out a bit the roles. I think, you know, he's getting to that stage where he would take on something like this to sort of stretch himself or try and do something different. It yeah, was I think all it's building up that. to this, wasn't it, Paul? <laughs> uh, I, well, I think it built up to his directorial thing because I'm looking at his, he actually was a, a DS9 director, like almost 10 times. Oh, wow. Eight, eight episodes. Quite a few of them are like quite Ferengi centric. I don't know where he just gra- those are the scripts he was handed, but he kind of gravitated towards those. There's an episode called Hippocratic Oath. Well, he ended up doing that one, but he was meant to do The Visitor, which was actually oh. is held up as one of the best episodes. And our mate David Lingston got that one instead. Yeah. So yeah. unfortunately, because schedules didn't align, he missed the chance to direct one of the great like, all time classics. Great episode, as you say, directed yeah. by David Lingston, former uh, guest on the podcast, the most prolific Star Trek director who ever lived. Yeah, and well, he did get to do like uh, a few episodes where he said, oh, this is my happiest time as director, where he had to do a, a two-hander between Avery Brooks and uh, Gold the Cat later in the series. And he says, it was acting, acting, acting all the time. My favourite. <laughs> it's everything he learned from so Robert Altman think... and Police Academy. So I'm a war criminal. In the Federation, you're innocent till proven guilty. So I'm told. Do you believe I'm guilty, Benjamin? I haven't seen all of the charges. It's not like you to equivocate. I'm trying to be fair. You won't be tried until the war's over. Your appearance before the special jury is just a formality. And you'll be testifying for the prosecution. I will tell them what I know. So, I, yeah, I think as a career, I didn't realise he had a bit of a, a turn as a director because I really, like, enjoyed him in The Patriot, which is an undersung adventure action movie from the, you know, War of Independence. With, uh, I think because of Mel Gibson's sort of, like, crazy, like, you know, madness ever since, it's kind of, like, lost its place a little bit. In, That's in a cracking kind of, like, movie. I love that movie. Yeah. He's and in he The Patriot the Reverend well. in it. It's Jason Isaacs, is it? Yeah. He is the Reverend who joins the Rebels, uh, well, the um, American Independence Fighters. 
And uh, something great about like that trope of like reverence, you like then pick up a gun and go, that's enough. I'm, I'm joining with you and I'm going to take on these guys. Yeah. He's, a, yeah. he's a great he's actor. And he, because he, he, um, he didn't come from directing, but I know that he had, he founded three different theatre groups and and, um, and training schools, uh, like in the sixties and the seventies. He he he's a proper actor, this guy. So and he, I think he does the most anyone could do with this role in Police Academy. Yeah. Not to bring it back to Police Academy Five, but uh, <laughs> he, he does the most I think anyone could with this part. And because the, there's scenes in it where you genuinely do feel his desperation and his fear of what's going to happen to him. And he, he is doing all the stuff. He is pulling out all those theatrical actors' tricks. He, he's With how he speaks and changes in tone and what he does with his face, he he is giving as good... He he is not phoning in it at all. And a lot of people are in this. I, the director and the writer mainly. But the, the a lot of the actors are doing the best. And I think he is bringing his A-game to an F movie. Yeah, yeah, he comes out with some credit, I would mm. say, considering what he's well, in. Well, because yeah. like we say, all the funniest stuff is in the end when they kidnap him. The interactions between him and the goons and Lassard, where Lassard is assuming that it's a training exercise, and they're kind of building up a little relationship, I think is really funny. We switched to the boat. Uh-uh. What? You don't like the boat? What? 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 I have to go to little boy's room. This is a kidnapping! It's not a kindergarten! Uh, boss, you did think of the helicopter. Oh, yeah. Come on, boss. Huh? All right, fine. And when he turns round to the big bad of the film, who, by the way, is called Dempsey. Did we all catch that? <laughs> yeah. the, the, the big bad of the movie is named after my good self. It's not quite like uh, uh, the latest season of Westworld where the character is literally called Liam Dempsey in it. Yeah. Which yeah, was yeah, so true. bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Dan, when you said earlier, like actually done some theatre stuff, like I read in his Wikipedia, he directed many theatrical productions, but he did a, a performance of 12 Angry Men in 2004. Oh, wow. With Roy Scheider and Robert Prosky. Oh my god! Now that I would have, that I would was, and there was a stage see. production, was it? Can yeah. you imagine yeah, that would be a he, hell he of a night out? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Like which juror is Henry Fonda? Like which uh, number? Because they're only given they're only afraid by the numbers, aren't they? He's number six. Oh, that is good. Uh, that is some good knowledge, Matt. Oh yes. If if Fantastic. you're right, so I, hope it, I hope I'm right. <laughs> So which juror is he? Well, he's number five, but yeah, I, I, can't, I need to bring up the list of who's yeah, the parable. Yeah, which one was number five? Played. Wait a minute, I'm going uh, to look. This uh, is the extent we don't want to talk about Police Academy 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've got, this is, this well, is while you, uh, While you fact-check that, did we all notice the other Trek reference in this movie where the Vulcan yes! nerve pinch gets brought out and they do a little salute? I almost thought for a second that they'd done the salute incorrectly. And was looking at, had to rewind and look back and thought, is this how sluggish it is that they've done it incorrect? Okay, so he plays juror number five. Yeah, I've uh, looked up who it is. So that is, that's Jack Klugerman, who's the uh, the violent slum, sensitive insults about his upbringing. Huh. I watched 12, rewatched 12 Angry Men recently. Fucking amazing. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he would have smashed it, to be honest. Ah, uh, so Roy Scheider is the Henry Fonda part. Ah, okay. Well, that's that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That'd can awesome. totally imagine Schneider in that role. Has anyone ever seen the William Friedkin? Rob, Rob Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever seen the William Friedkin remake of Twelve Angry Men? 
I, I'd love to see it. Isn't it Gandolfini? Yeah, Gandolfini, Jack Lemon. Uh, it's like an, it's another, it's an all-star and, uh, cast basically. The cast is amazing for it. I think even um, George C. Scott's in it. Have you seen it, Dan? No, I'm looking at I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for it now. So there's a 1997 cast is incredible. Then they've got the cast for the yeah. 2003, and I know almost everyone in the cast, which is freaked <laughs> me out. What's the 2003 version? That was that is the the stage version. So I don't know if that was done uh, West End. I would assume because it's Bill Bailey in the Armin uh, in the uh, E.G. Marshall part, Jeff Green, Dave Johns, Owen O'Neill, Phil Nickel. I think this is. Um, I think they had a bunch. Of, well, I can tell they had a bunch of comics doing it for a while. Comics would do a play, a serious play in Edinburgh every year, and I guess that was their year to do Twelve Angry Men. Let's get them all right. in. Oh, yeah. When you said you knew everyone from it, I assumed it was the Welsh language version on S4C. <laughs> yeah, there's, I don't know if you've seen S4C, but it's uh, it's a rotating amount of angry men. Um, but that's... <laughs> Welsh angry men, to be precise. Um, so, uh, Rene kidnaps uh, Lassard, and like I say, he does get a real acting moment because he builds up an affinity and relationship with Lassard. And Dempsey turns around and tells him, you've got to kill him. And he actually begs for Lassard's life. He says, like, oh, not not the old man. Like, you know, we're not going to kill him. But Dempsey demands his death. And when he goes to kill Lassard, he says, you know, it's just business. And we get a little lip wobble as he's about yeah. to do it. He, he does a little lip wobble. He's like, he brings real emotion to the part. Yeah. Like you say, this is Rene aiming way higher the material deserves, I think. I don't um, think he's even aiming. It's just he's, he's a real actor and his instincts kick in to do something that feels real and human. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think he's really good. I think he kind of definitely brings mm. another level to it. And all these scenes are kind of my favourite in the film. So I do like that Lassard repeatedly yeah. kind of foils the bad guys without realising. I think that's a funny idea. Did anyone notice now there's a terribly groan-worthy gag where one of the bad guys farts in a lift? Oh. It's completely throwaway and awful. Yeah, I think they just saw the outtake from Revenge of Pink Panther and said, well, they didn't use it. We should use it in our <laughs> film. Yeah. I wrote it down. Farting in the lift. Height of comedy. You know, it's like... <laughs> well, they've even messed it. Farts are the funniest <laughs> thing in existence, yet they still managed to screw yeah. that up. Well, this is the thing. When the guy who farted gets out of the lift, there's a guy called bodyguarding the lift and he farts again as he gets out. And the guy bodyguarding the lift collapses against the side yeah. of the wall. And I couldn't work out whether that was a gag in terms of he was actually getting knocked unconscious by the fart or whether it was an extra who just couldn't be bothered anymore and kind of slumped <laughs> against the wall. <laughs> they just passed out on camera and didn't cut it. <laughs> so yeah, this is kind of where the film wraps up. Basically, they save Lassard. Uh, or Lassard essentially saves himself once he realises it's not a training exercise and shows why he was voted police officer of the decade and kicks a ass. I just want to say the thing that really drags this movie out is when, when the final rescue happens, every single stunt, no matter how simple, is slow motioned to give the illusion of... I don't know, value for money. <laughs> but it's... And I, yeah, that's the, my, my last note is every stunt is slow motion and then it all caps... I am so bored. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I did like the slow motion stunt with Tackleberry <laughs> coming off the bike 
and the bike slamming into the boxes yeah. and the people. I thought it was pretty cool. I liked that. You get one. Have that. But when the person then falls <laughs> off the jetty into the water, which is a four-foot drop for fuck's sake, right? It's... I don't need to see that in excruciating detail. I mean, I should say that the film is 90 minutes long on the nose. It is the second longest of the franchise after the first film. (laughs) The rest are all shorter than this. I think the shortest one is 70 minutes or so. They know how to not outstay their welcome in general. Uh, No, they don't. (laughs) Uh, but they end with a kind of medal giving ceremony uh, which is how most police academy films end a trope that they share with the original star wars of course which i'm sure you agree paul is is just as good i've never never seen it do not compare Uh, this to my beloved star wars (laughs) so they all get handed medals and you know uh lassard is told that he can continue being a police officer, and that's the despite being completely senile, and that is the end of the film. So another masterpiece for the East Capital franchise. <laughs> uh, should we should have a clap just for getting through it? <laughs> uh, and guys, like I spent three pound forty nine. So did I. Today. Yeah, same. Yeah. Don't do Who it. Who went HD? Save your money. Go on HD. Oh yeah, it was HD. <laughs> Had no uh, choice. Better than Liam's DVD would only be full screen. Yeah, we we could well. see everything. Yeah, we could see everything, like, full frame. There's I mean, Paul, really, your opus. fault for not owning it, really. I mean, like, why <laughs> why this wasn't on I, the shelf? I, 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 looked up on, on, um, I looked up on Gumtree to see if anyone was selling it locally, <laughs> and they were. And it was it was about, only about a half-hour drive from me. All of them, every, all seven of them, for a fiver. And I chose not to, because I knew <laughs> yeah. I'll never watch them. I mean, gonna... that's a steal, Dan. <laughs> I guess, it, I, yeah. Imagine going on an hour round trip to pick up seven Police Academy films. Yeah, yeah I mean, and having to tell the woman it's for work. Them. It wasn't even the box set. They'd been individually bought. So it was about, <laughs> if they were bought new, that's that's about 78 quid oh worth of Police wow. Academy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know... Well, the funny thing is, like, it's got the, one of the worst box art covers of anything ever as well. I remember seeing it on the shelf. It's just... A yellow background with an outline of a police car yeah, the, 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 and police the academy, the complete collection. And they've gone for like a weird arty thing. Like, like all of a sudden, police academy has been rediscovered as an arty comic masterpiece. Like, fuck off, right? It's yeah. They're a bunch of cheap Drew Struzan knockoffs. That's what the posters were. See, I'm glad you said that, Paul, about the referencing that was actually the box set. Because I was about to say one of the best things about the police academy franchise, of course, is the posters. The first four were actually drawn by Drew Struzan, Dan. And they are some of the most beautiful film posters I've ever seen. Like, absolutely incredible. And then the fifth one, so this one, uh, was designed by Drew Struzan, but they didn't pay him enough money. So another guy replaced him uh, to complete the job, Carl yeah. Ramsey. So the first four are Drew Struzan originals. And then you could hang on your wall. They are gorgeous posters. Is uh, this one so, like the equivalent uh, of on, that? Uh, was it the cleaning lady who <laughs> messed up the Jesus painting and tried to fix it and just drew a little yeah. face on it? It's like that's who did. <laughs> that's six what this person's done her, to yeah. a Struzan design. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if Struzan returned at any point later, but they all got. They all have that kind of Struzan esque look. But yeah, the first four are definitely Drew Struzan, and they are yeah, very full beautiful. full cast. Everyone you can I'm imagine look on them there. Up, yeah. Yeah. because I seem to remember them being basically. It, it feels like somebody knocked off doing his lunch break from doing something else. Because they're, they're crowd shots, aren't they? 
Yeah. I'm going to have a look. They're beautiful, yourself. Dan. Do not <laughs> diss the work of Juice Juzan. I'll tell you that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Juice Juzan. I'm just... Look, this man killed his entire family in the mist. So, I mean, you know, you show us some respect. <laughs> Actually, I take... What is it? Which was this now? Oh, they, they, you know what? Okay, they're pretty. They're pretty. I like... They are pretty. Yeah. Yeah. My favourite okay, yeah. one. I think the fourth one is the masterpiece with the hot air balloon. That's, that's, that's the, the, one that the fourth good. one is cool. I like that one. I like that one a lot. And yeah, the but second one just, is also great. You know, that's the thing. It's like when you can say the best thing about a thing is the poster. Like that, you can say that about a lot of things in the eighties. Actually, <laughs> very true. Very true. I mean, especially ones drawn by Juice Jusum. So we've reached the kind of end of Please Count Me Five, the Sight Man of Each. So we're going to get round and get your opinions about the film. Final thoughts. Dan, we do star ratings on Spotlight the movies, so you can have it out of five, and you can have half stars. So if you can give us your final thoughts and give us your star rating, please. Uh, I'm going to go... You know what? I'm going to give it one, because it's technically fine. It's been, it's been competently and professionally shot. And there's moments where I genuinely feel sorry for the crew because a lot of these jokes that don't land, like the bit at the start where Proctor is by an open window, the door opens and he falls out the window and he's swinging on a tree and then he jumps back in. Some poor sods. It's fine. But what they've had to do is they've had to build a safety rig underneath that location window. It's not a set. There's been crew putting that together probably since the previous day. It's taken hours. And I feel for a joke that's shite. <laughs> and and there's a lot of there's a there's so much work gone into it by by the proper you know blue collar workers on this film for jokes that are shite and my one star goes to them. Okay, so one star for Thank working you, class hero Dan Thomas. Uh, Paul, <laughs> what, what what do you think? Well, it's it's an awful abysmal piece of shit. And it's half a star from me. I wish I could go lower. I, I think it makes the color sin of like, I like a good bad movie as long as it's entertaining and I'm not bored. This is boring as shit because it's not even funny. There's got to be at least a chuckle in there somewhere. And you're right, there is a couple with Lassard and Rene Aubergenois at the end. But it took 86 minutes to get there and it's far too long to wait. Now, Paul, in all of the films we've covered for Spotlight of the Movies... No, last Christmas is worse. Uh, so Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is the <laughs> oh, Christmas Eve. Film yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas starring Patrick Stewart. That is, yeah, that is ceiling. Okay, uh, okay uh, so you were saying that ceiling. film is worse. Floor. Yeah, yeah, I think that might have been no stars. <laughs> yeah, I think well, it was. I mean, was I mean, no stars. You gave it half star because you had to, but you wanted to give it no stars. It was a zero star in your heart. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so this is but not I the think, worst you know, film we've covered for Swap Light in the movies. This is what you're saying. But it's damn close. Okay. Like, okay, okay, that's fair, that's fair. Because there's just so many better, like, 80s comedies out there. I mean, Police and... Academy 3, Police Academy 4. Well, yeah, they are better than this, but they're still, like, garbage, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say my ranking uh, right now. I mean, Police Academy 1 and 2 at the top. They are absolutely... Yeah, I, I should be, like, give this its due, because I, I like the first piece of Academy. Yeah. So, like, I'm not coming to it hating on the, on the whole thing. Have you seen fan, two, like... their first assignment? No. I would recommend yeah. that. I would recommend that. I've rewatched it recently, and it is still a solid three star. I mean, just check out the poster from Drew Struzan. You'll be sold. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally. Like a tractor beam, I'll be yeah, there. Yeah, I would recommend yeah. that. Brubs, what, what do you think? Uh well I mean it's not good is it it's not good um yeah 
There's, I mean, I've always long maintained that the funniest thing about Police Academy was the Simpsons joke that went with it. And I've just looked it up again, and there's actually two, and they're both quite iconic. Do you remember the second one? Uh, I know that there is another... Well, do you mean that we make Steve Gutenberg a star? No, no, so, so of course oh. there's, yeah, Homer lambasting Bart for shoplifting and saying... Why do you think I took you to all those Police Academy movies for fun? I didn't hear anyone <laughs> laughing. Did you? But, but then the other one is when Marge becomes a cop. And he says to the guys, he says, when Marge first joined the Police Academy, I thought it was going to be fun and exciting, like that movie Spaceballs. But instead it was sad and depressing, like that movie Police Academy. <laughs> I mean, I would say that Police Academy is funnier than Spaceballs, in my personal opinion. And that's that's not probably I true. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um, there was one bit that was that made me not laugh, but I thought might be funny. Let me see what you think. It's the scene where Tackleberry is at the gun range. It's the same one with the fly, the animated fly, and he plays yeah. it like a toddler because he yes. wants to keep all the guns he's been given. <laughs> and then uh, Leslie Easterbrook comes in, and she's and she plays it like his mum. I think that scene is the only part I went, oh, there's something humorous in that. that mm. there's, a, there's a scene that has a comic premise that I get. And maybe I was, I was Stockholm Syndrome by that point. But that was <laughs> the one part I actually think they both play it really well and it works. It almost works independently of the rest of the film. It would work as an SNL sketch. Now, officer, you need to share those weapons with the other officers. No, I need these. Let me talk to him. Eugene. Eugene, I'll get you some of your very own just as soon as we get home. You promise? Cross my heart. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I'm so I am gonna up my score to three quarters of a point. Wow. I mean, let's be honest, Tackleberry is not a character that's aged well. In the days of Black Lives Matter... No, he sure hasn't. I'm going to say he's more relevant than ever. <laughs> I think maybe... Very, very true. Guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that, mean, he's that, a realistic think, cop. That's the thing. All the comedies about, about police now, like um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they're like, well, how are we going to treat now? Because we, we don't want to seem to be propagandists. Fucking a Tackleberry show is on point for where we are culturally right now. That's, I mean, I've suddenly David Graff passed uh, several years ago, but I mean, that spin-off, I think, would fly about now. That's very true. I mean, uh, actually, a Tackleberry spin-off made by David Gordon Green, Danny McBride and Jodie Hill, I think would be absolutely incredible. Yeah. You know, I think they, they could do it absolutely right. Uh, Matt, we still haven't got your star rating. For this uh, it, was a, it was a one star. So, one star. I mean, I think I've only rated like, three things half a star so it's got to be like completely irredeemable like dan says this is a film it's recognizably a film but <laughs> yeah it, you know it's not so bad it's good so you can't really stick you can't even stick it on at the prince charles and go and have a laugh at it unfortunately i mean imagine a police academy all-nighter at the oh, prince charles Jesus. 
all seven bit oh, off. Can you imagine? Fucking, I mean, wandering out of the street, just <laughs> oh, vomiting on <laughs> the road. You'd walk out <laughs> after the first one, it would be 11.30 p.m. and you'd be going back in for two. You're like, oh, God, this I mean, is I'm a long very night. excited about that. I might suggest it, to be honest. I think that's what's going, you know, I think they're struggling at the moment at financially. Least you, could, you could definitely ensure social distancing at that screening. <laughs> I mean, they're struggling financially at the moment. For safest ticket in town. Gonna save them. Um, but I, right, I would say I, I've heard they they do play all seven films every weekend in Guantanamo. So maybe that's a way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say in final thought summation, I would give this one and a half stars. I admit that probably that extra half a star is for pure nostalgic fondness, but it is not the worst police academy of the franchise. That is Mission to Moscow, uh, which I gave half a star on Letterboxd. It gets worse from here. Although, Police Academy 6 City Under Siege is a step up from this film, I will say. That's got an actual plot, which no other Police Academy film attempted. But this movie, yeah, (laughs) one and a half stars. I mean, I think, in all honesty, what we never realised is the Goots, Steve Gutenberg was the secret source that held these films together. Without him, I think they do flail somewhat. And they should never let go of him. You know, Mahoney, I'd like to spend the next month breaking you into little pieces. But I won't. Because you're bad. You're bad for morale, Mahoney. Oh, you you look like the sweet little boy from next door. (laughs) But you don't fool me, oh no. No, you're the devil. And you're rotten to the core. And you're ruining my chances of training some men who might make pretty good cops. I agree, sir. I've been saying that all along. You make me sick. Thank you, sir. I make everybody sick. We're going to pick up this telephone and we're going to call your buddy, Captain Reed. And you, you are going to help me talk him out of this terrible mistake. Terrific. I'll do my part, sir. Damn right you will. Yes, this is the Academy. I'd like to speak to a Captain Reed. Reed. Oh, yeah, Captain Reed. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, how are you, sir? This is Lieutenant Harris, Lieutenant Thaddeus Harris, out of the police academy. I'm so sorry to disturb you, sir. Uh, but your friend, I guess, my would like to speak with you. Just one moment, please. Oh, Hi, Captain Reed. Can I get out of here? No? Okay. I tried. Uh, uh, Captain Reed, um, uh, thank you so much. Yes, bye. Well, I tell you what, what, who is your dream creative team of Police Academy 8? Uh, I think that the uh, 21 Jump Street guys could do a good job. Bill Lord and Chris Miller. I I think they'd do a good job with the Police Academy series. And what would you want from it? Not necessarily in terms of plot, but what would you would you want it to be raunchy and dirty, like the first one, just rough and ready? Because well, it feels like the world has moved on so far culturally from Police Academy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and, and cops in general, they've moved on from as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the world has moved on very much so. And I feel that it probably, because of Me Too, it probably could be as raunchy as it used to be uh, with kind of, you know, Steve Gutenberg's character being cool because he often kind of is pervy on women. Uh, but like you say, Tackleberry, there's 
there's kind of room for maneuver there to make a. a I, I think yeah, I think that's under something there. A, a, a comedy where the target is police brutality, I think might that's something there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Farrelly brothers, because they could really push the bad taste envelope. I'm hoping more of a Farrelly brothers 1998 to 2001 sort of era Farrelly brothers. <laughs> but not not a Green Book like... era Farrelly brothers, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Green Book take on Police Academy, I would love to see. <laughs> I th- I, and I think, I think that is what you have to do with it. I think if you're going to modernise it, then you take away the fact that it's... It's very white. Like even though there are there are black characters in the police academy movies, it's like you're tall and hard, and black. It 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 feels very. I mean, every, and literally everyone is one note. But even racially, it feels mm. like it's it's very one note. Mm. You know, gay people are a punchline. Women are a punchline. I think any new police academy needs to be a, a complete reversal of a lot of things that have been established in the series. I think that's probably yeah, or very true. a period piece that like is just an absolute takedown of all of those things. Oh, well, to, yeah. to have that world happening, and then we have the the view of the actual audience, someone who's the oh, eyes yeah. of the Do audience. It like, the, um, yeah, yeah, life on Mars, and they're walking someone into that. Ends up back it, in time. A bit like uh, yeah, life on Mars sort of thing of war. That that's um, a really you know, interesting take to have somehow an well, enlightened person and have it actually be set in eighty four. Well, yeah, it's it's always something Philadelphia did one like ski slope comedy. Like a couple of yeah. seasons back, where they where they, the characters are in a nineteen eighties ski slope sex comedy, and there was one character there who's just like, "What the hell's <laughs> happening here?" And everybody else is just completely losing it, and like with all the drinking and the whoring and stuff like that, it's just like this is really insane. That's the way to do it. That brings us to the end of our Police Academy Five Assignment Miami Beach discussion. Everyone, will you Paul and Matt? Will you be watching more Police Academy after this? Ugh. I mean, I don't think I just randomly pay to rent it on YouTube again. (laughs) But if I'm at yours and, you know, you've got number two handy, we'll see how drunk we get. (laughs) If I force a number two on you. (laughs) If I wake up hogtied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Post-pandemic, this is is happening. Paul? Post-pandemic, this is the tonic. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying this, but... Maybe part two, if it's got the F-bomb in it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, your first assignment is to come round mine once the pandemic is over and we'll all hug and watch Police Can Me Do their first assignment. I love it. The pandemic's over, and then you have a watch party of Police Academy, and the pandemic starts again, and they track and trace it back to an all night Police Academy, (laughs) and the whole world is like, "Fucking, we nearly beat this." (laughs) Couldn't wait, could you? I mean, if if anything is going to cause pandemic, it's that. Lock your doors. Activate the dog. Stand up, the man. Stretch the wire. Because they've taken to the streets. They're the graduates of Police Academy. Turned loose on their first assignment. You gotta build a trust between you and the people. And they'll respect you. They're armed. Now look, I'm serious. And they're dangerous. Mahoney. You have the right to sing the blues. You have the right to cable TV. It's a nice piece. Tackleberry. I was referring to your sidearm. Hightower. Yo! Yo? Yo, sir! Jones! <laughs> Hooks! Captain Lazard! Commandant Lazard! <laughs> and the lovable Lieutenant Mauser! It's Captain Mauser! Last year, they were in training! Time to deploy for school! I'll go when I 
ready. You're ready now, mister. This year, they're in charge. Police Academy, their first assignment. You can find us at Spotlight Pod at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can send us a five-star review. So, you know, forget everything you heard about the 0% on Rotten Tomatoes and switch yourself to 100% for Spotlight on uh, Apple Podcasts and give us that review. If you've got different thoughts about Police Academy 5 for Simon Man Beach, if you think it's the Citizen Kane of the Police Academy franchise, then please get in contact with us on spotlightpod at gmail.com. Dan, where can no, we find Liam, you? we don't want to yeah, hear from people. If you think that Police Academy that. 5 is the Citizen Kane of comedies, unsubscribe and fuck yourself. That's... <laughs> Look, people, please don't listen to Dan Thomas. We, we, we need yeah, can you your just email Liam directly? I don't yeah, want this is, I, I don't work here, but I just want to say, as a guest, of, for the good of these boys, go to hell. <laughs> Dan, where can we find you online? I'm on uh, Dan Thomas Comedy on Twitter, and that's about it. I mean, Dan, who the fuck's on LinkedIn? Dan, you a fucking podcast already. I, do you know what? I finally uh, I looked into because uh, I'm tight. I looked into how to do a podcast for free. Anchor apparently you can do it for free, which is this is not good chat. For this is a bit inside baseball now, but you can do it for free, so maybe I will. They're pivoting from butter, are they? What's that? Yeah, yeah. I'm just um, specialising in butter-based podcasts. Um, <laughs> I, w- I will start one, but the thing is, I can't believe it's I not a podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're spreading yourself a little thin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't, yeah, I should start a podcast, but it's just like. Um, it's time, innit? I mean, this, it is time. It, it, I mean, literally, we've talked for two and three quarter hours about a 90 minute film. <laughs> Look, this yeah. is the time that as Police Academy 5 Simon Mount Beach deserves, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, because I, I do want to do a Clint Eastwood podcast, but a lot of his movies are two and a half hours. If I do the same match, that's four hours just recording. Then I got to edit out. <laughs> me saying something probably offensive and that takes time yeah. but I, I, I really do want to do it because I really do enjoy doing these things and it's it's so niche I mean like, no one like I really enjoy talking about Police Academy 5 but if I turn up at a comedy club and try and do half an hour on it I'm not going to get booked again do you know what I mean so this is great <laughs> uh, it's the only option really yeah I don't think any I mean certainly in the age of the coronavirus, no comedy clubs going to allow you to do two and a half hours on police coming five. No, no. It's not, it's not the... going to happen. Um, so, yeah, we, we look forward to Dan's podcast when eventually uh, it turns up. I know you've considered Humphrey Bogart as well. Yeah, that might be too niche. Maybe I'll do... Clear. i tell you what I want to do, because I'm in one movie. I don't know if these people would go for this, but I want to do... I'm in one not very good movie, and I think every episode I just want to have different guests and force them to watch my film and tell me why I'm great. <laughs> I remember you mentioning this before. Yeah, I mean, that would be a very fine podcast. I mean, especially if you can get Clint Eastwood as a guest at some point. I mean, you know, I'd he love to know what is... he has to say. Weirdly, I know some pretty big people have accidentally watched it in Hollywood, and they have—they've been. I, I've heard a rumor that Michael Bay has watched it, and someone else on the production Whoa. was offered was offered a job off the back of it. I'm like, yeah. okay, not me. I want to make that fucking clear. But yeah, <laughs> you're like, where's my role with Transformers: The Last Night? That's what I want to know. Damn straight. I mean, yeah, exactly. Anthony Hopkins got your role, mate. You were fucking robbed. 
<laughs> like, get me any Welshman. Well, he's closest. All right, fair enough. I mean, like Andy Hopkins. There's, there's also not much difference between the salary, is there? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, excellent. Right, guys. Okay, well, until next time, it's been another great year at the Spotlight Academy. Live long and prosper. I love you all. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>